Should you limit your available podcast episodes or keep it all in your feed? Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. As you podcast consistently, you'll build up a back catalog of episodes. But should you keep all of those episodes online? Or should you maybe limit how many are available in your podcast feed and on your website? This subject was inspired by feedback from my listener, Mark Johansson, who said, I'm seeking an instructional resource, aka a link, that I can forward to a podcaster in order to nudge them to take actions needed in order to allow access to all their earlier podcast episodes. At present, one can only access the latest 50 episodes via an app or via their website. Thank you for that question, Mark. I hope you'll share this episode with them. So here are seven things for you to consider or for you to share with another podcast that is in this same situation and you want them to have more of their episodes available. You can follow along in the notes or share this episode with anyone who would need it by going to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash limit or not or tap or swipe inside of your app to get to the notes and share links there. First, number one, podcast feed versus website archive. Think about the main two places your episodes live. First, your podcast feed, and second, on your website. And you do have a website for your podcast that has a separate web page for each episode, right? You should. Many publishing systems will let you limit how many episodes are in your RSS feed. Most common defaults are 10, 50, and 100, but some of them let you set whatever limit that you want. But such limits most likely won't affect your website and where your episodes live on your website. If an episode is no longer available in your feed, but still on your website, it is technically still online and available, but it's no longer very practical because it's not available in your audience's podcast apps. Unless they have smart tools for moving website audio into a podcast app, The only way your audience could hear or watch your old episodes is through the webpage and their browser. That makes it difficult for your audience, rather inconvenient, and I'd say even inconsiderate if it's something that they want to consume in the way that they want to consume it. Thus, most of the following considerations will focus on what is in your podcast RSS feed specifically, but also keep your website in mind so that people have a place where they can go to hear your episodes through a browser and all of the other value that has been on your website. But we're focusing primarily on your podcast feed and thus what shows up in the podcast apps. Number two, is your content still valuable? When your podcast episodes from months or even years ago are still valuable and relevant today, then you've made timeless content. Timeless content is highly valuable for both you and your audience. It gives you more content that you can promote, either through marketing or direct recommendations, like saying to people, hey, you gotta listen to this episode. And if you have a timeless episode, then it doesn't really matter when you publish that episode if your potential audience could still benefit from it. For example, I still send people to my episode from 2014 about whether episode numbers are really necessary. And I have a link to that in the notes if you want to check that out and you're wondering, are episode numbers really necessary? Well, go listen to that old episode. In fact, I even considered reapproaching the content and redoing that episode recently. But when I listened to that old episode, I realized that 
it was still just as relevant today as back then, so I didn't really need to re-record it. Instead, I did an episode all about whether episode numbers should be in your titles. And I referred back to that episode about episode numbers from way back in 2014. That content was timeless. Timeless content also gives your audience more great stuff to enjoy or learn from, either for the first time when they're discovering your podcast and can listen to all of the great content that you have from years ago, or they've been listening for a while and they decide to go back and refresh some stuff or re-experience some old stuff. The other kind of content is time-sensitive. It's when your podcast episodes have a kind of shelf life. Imagine a best-if-used-by date on your episodes. That doesn't mean they're bad after that date. It just means they're best if used before that date, just like certain food products aren't bad after the best-if dates, but the used-by dates are more hard. Anyway, that little tangent aside, this is common, I think, for podcasts about current events, like a news podcast. Podcasts about current trends, such as a TV show, are mostly time-sensitive because most people will be interested only when the trend is current. But this can still have some timeless value. In the case of a simultaneous TV after-show podcast, like my old podcast about the TV show Once Upon a Time was, the value might be more difficult as people can more easily binge the old show and your episodes will then seem easily outdated because they can consume the whole TV show much faster, maybe, than they can consume your podcast, or they might consume them in different orders, and so your episodes will sound awkward and outdated. But if someone gets your podcast while watching the show, no matter when they're watching it or when it is now, as if they were watching the show and listening to your podcast simultaneously way back when the show was live, then they could experience all the same things, the same theories, the same questions, the same uncertainty, except without the direct engagement with your podcast and the community because that engagement and the community has mostly already passed. Alternatively, a rewatch style podcast such as Office Ladies weighs more on the timeless side because such a podcast can discuss the show without theorizing or worrying about spoilers. And it's designed generally for people who have already seen the show and not necessarily watching it for the first time. My Once Upon a Time podcast almost didn't happen because I wanted to instead do a podcast about rewatching Lost. I'd never podcasted about Lost, but I did watch Lost and it took me a little while to get into it. But I thought here would be a really fun idea is do a podcast where my primary co-host and I were fans of Lost and we knew all the theories and how everything ended. And then we have a third co-host who was watching it for the first time. So we'd have the first part of the episodes be where all three of us were together, and then the second part of the episode would be just the two of us who had already seen the show. So that way there could still be some of the, oh wow, I wonder what's happening part of it, and there could be some kind of fun with that, as most of the audience would probably know what was already happening. And then after that co-host would leave the episode, then we'd discuss everything with all spoilers from multiple seasons into the future. But that didn't happen. Because the guy who was going to be my co-host said, hey, have you heard about this TV show called Once Upon a Time? And thus, the Once podcast was born. And I still get people listening to it and occasionally still sending emails. And someone even just recently sent a donation. They said, we know this podcast is no longer active. The TV show is no longer on the air. But I'm sure there are still some costs to keeping the podcast online. So I want to help you with that. 
Like that was awesome generosity. Really cool of them. So you might fit into one of these situations or something slightly different, but you really need to ask yourself, will most of my episodes still be relevant in a year or maybe a couple of years or a few years? If yes, then you probably have timeless content. And I think you should consider keeping your episodes available if they are timeless. But if not, like if you have a news podcast that's talking about today's news or this week's news, people probably won't care about your episodes from a couple of years ago unless it was a really special episode covering some kind of breaking or amazing information. So then if you have a time-sensitive podcast, it would probably be okay to limit how many episodes are available in your feed and on your website. Number three, does your old content have good SEO, search engine optimization? Most podcast apps will search episode titles. Did you know that? So your episodes become a portfolio that helps your podcast to be found and helps people decide on consuming your podcast. When they view your podcast for the first time in their podcast apps, they will see the list of episodes. So that gives them a good idea of what your podcast is about not only from your description, but also they get to see the actual episode topics. And the SEO value here is that those episode titles can also contain all kinds of great value in SEO keywords. So instead of trying to stuff those SEO terms into your podcast title and risk getting kicked out of podcast apps, which I've done an episode previously about that, the link for that is in the notes on the website at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash limit or not or tap or swipe away inside of your app. So instead of trying to keyword stuff, you could make separate, well-titled episodes about those subjects you want people to search for and find your podcast. So don't title your podcast The Business Show and then dash online marketing, passive income, affiliate income, cryptocurrency, investment opportunities, selling your business, dot, 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 dot. Don't do that. Make episodes about those subjects. Make an episode all about selling your business. Make an episode all about affiliate income. Make an episode all about passive income and all of these other things that you want to be found for. This helps in podcast apps and websites and social networks when you have episodes about the specific things you want to be found for. They're more shareable. They have better search engine value to them. And I think they're far more accessible and consumable to your audience because they know what they're getting with that episode. It's not like they have to skip around to find what they're interested in. They know this is the episode about affiliate income. That's all this episode covers. If I want to learn about affiliate income, this episode is the place to get it. That's why I love single topic focused episodes. That doesn't work for everybody, but you can try to make it work for you or you could practice it every now and then. And when you do that kind of thing, that gives your episodes fantastic SEO value. So if your old episodes do have that good search engine optimization, then I highly recommend keeping them available, both on your website and in your podcast feed. This will ensure your podcast can then still be found for all of those things that you talked about in separate episodes, and then found wherever people are looking, not only on the website search engines, but also inside their podcast apps, and that's possible only if you keep your episode available in all of these places. Number four, do you sell your back catalog? A good way to monetize a popular and deeply engaging podcast, those two things are very important there, popular and deeply engaging, can be to limit the number of publicly available episodes, both in the feed and on the website. 
not having them there, and then sell the access to the rest of those old episodes. There are several ways that you can sell access to your old episodes, and I have links to each of these in the notes for this episode. You could sell access through a creator support platform like Patreon, Glow.fm, or Supercast. You could build your own membership system like with WordPress and MemberPress. I've done that before. Or you could sell your old episodes by bundling those old episodes together and selling them as a single downloadable package or multiple downloadable packages like you can do easily with WordPress and the Easy Digital Downloads plugin. Another thing that I've done before too. Or you could use podcast subscription platforms and I'm using the word subscription in the more modern way where you're paying to subscribe to something in a podcast app. That's like what you can get with the Apple Podcasters program and more. And some of these even integrate with these other tools like Patreon, Glow.fm, Supercast, MemberPress, maybe other things that we might develop inside of Podcasting 2.0 and more. This approach works great for podcasts that aren't designed to sell something else, like your own products and services, except for selling their own inherent value within each episode. And this only works when the audience will actually want those old episodes. If you have a daily news podcast, how likely is it that people really care about what you had to say about the day's news from five years ago if nothing really special happened on that date? I see this used most often for the entertaining podcasts. Remember, I consider that all content on the internet is either helpful or entertaining, or it could be both, really. So for those entertaining podcasts, like a comedy show where you sell your old episodes because they're just as funny as the new episodes, it didn't matter what was happening in the world at that time, or it didn't matter all that much. People know that that joke is still funny no matter when you tell it. So maybe you sell access to those old episodes or those old stories, or maybe you're doing a drama and the older episodes are bunched together in older seasons. And maybe you make those older seasons available only for sale while you keep your current season online in the podcast apps on your website and available for free. If you sell your old episodes, please remember to remove, I suggest really, any advertising from them because you're no longer trying to use the episode to sell something else. Instead, you're selling the episode itself because of its own inherent value. And this would be then the ideal situation to limit your feed and your website to only your latest episodes, however you want to break that off, whether it's always only the latest 10 are available for free, or maybe it's only the current season, the current year, or however you want to define that. That's up to you. Number five, what profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, are you seeking with your podcast? I make profit stand for something. It's what both you and your audience can gain from your podcast, P-R-O-F-I-T. Popularity, relationships, opportunities, fun, income, or tangibles. If your episodes regularly help build your profit, then it would probably be most profitable for you to keep them online as long as possible. And if they have good SEO value, they'll continue attracting people. And if they have good calls to action or other profit-building value, then they'll probably continue returning that value for as long as they stay online. For example, I still get a request every now and then for me to design a website or podcast cover art for someone because I promoted those personalized services back when I offered them myself years ago. I don't do that work anymore, by the way. 
Now I refer that out. So you're still welcome to ask for my recommended referrals. Just understand I'm going to refer you to someone I trust because I just don't do that work anymore. And I continue to receive new subscribers to my email newsletter through past episodes that promoted exclusive resources. I also continue to receive new members to my podcast reviews and customers to my other products and services because of how they were relevantly promoted in timeless content, even from years ago. If I took those old episodes offline, I would be losing all those opportunities to build my brand, my authority, and my influence. So if your podcast itself is a form of marketing for something else you offer, a product, a service, or anything like that, even affiliates that are timeless affiliates, then you would probably want to keep the older episodes online for as long as possible, both in your feed and on your website. Number six, is your feed getting too big? A complication arises when you have so many episodes and such large notes for each episode that your podcast RSS feed grows to multiple megabytes. With my own article style notes for each episode, multiplied by the hundreds of episodes I've published, I only recently realized my own RSS feed was over five megabytes. For an RSS feed, that's big. And I never really noticed because I use Blueberry's podcast mirror service as a proxy for my RSS feed to keep it fast and stable. Yes, every now and then when I try and view the source, I had to wait for a few seconds for everything to load, but I never really took note of how big in megabytes the feed actually was. But it was still so big. Even with the proxy service that Blueberry provides through Podcast Mirror, the feed, my feed, was so big that some podcast apps and services were starting to choke on it, even causing some old episodes to not display anymore. I could have reduced the number of episodes in my feed, but then that would have cost me the SEO, as I talked about in point number three, and the profit, as I talked about in the previous point number five. And until my proposal to support notes inside chapters is adopted with Podcasting 2.0, I have a link to that in the notes, or until PowerPress changes how it generates podcast feeds from WordPress, I didn't want to remove my full articles from my RSS feed. Like there's a simple option inside of the WordPress reading settings to say that you want the full content or just the excerpts, the summaries. I did not want to switch everything over to summaries because there are cases where I want the full content to show. So instead, in my case, since I use PowerPress to generate my RSS feed, I enabled PowerPress's feed episode maximizer feature, which allows full content on only my latest 10 episodes, and then minimal content, especially omitting my lengthy articles, on all older episodes that are beyond those latest 10. This reduced my feed with nearly 400 episodes from over 5 megabytes to that sweet spot of under 1 megabyte. I highly recommend you listen to or read some of my past episodes and articles to learn more about feed limits and considerations that come along with each of these. There are three that I link to in the notes at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash limit or not. Those three are A, what you need to know about episode limits and your podcast RSS feed, B, how to shrink your podcast RSS feed and why it matters, and C, what to do when you have too many podcast episodes in your RSS feed. Check those out in the notes at tap or swipe away in your app or at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash limit or not. So you really need to consider the complexity 
you might be introducing by allowing all your episodes to remain in your feed, and then look for optimization options if you can. And number seven, think carefully before expanding your RSS feed. If you've decided you want more of your old episodes in your feed, you need to know what could happen if you expand the limit on your RSS feed. First, there's the size to consider, as I addressed in point number six. You don't want your feed to get too big. I recommend under one megabyte. Plenty of apps out there can handle larger feeds, but I think under one megabyte is mostly reasonable. There are also potential consequences for automations and the audience experience. Let's focus first on the audience experience. Most podcast apps track each podcast episode by the episode's Globally Unique Identifier, or G-U-I-D. Some people pronounce it G-U-I-D. Some people say GUID. This is an RSS tag that you don't have to worry about unless you're migrating hosting providers or publishing tools, in which case worry a lot because the GUIDs should never change. Some apps will remember only the GUIDs that still exist in the feed, and that's how they know what episodes were played and what episodes weren't, and they'll forget anything that's no longer in the feed. So when you expand the feed to include more episodes, those old episodes might look completely new to podcast apps because the apps have forgotten the GUIDs, or if they've never even seen those GUIDs in the first place. Then, the app will probably download or re-download those old episodes, even if they were already played. Because again, to the app, it's thinking, oh, I haven't seen this GUID anymore. This looks like a new episode. I better download it. It might have forgotten that you actually played that episode already. At the least, they might be displayed in the podcast apps as new and unplayed, and thus confuse, or worse, frustrate your audience. Unfortunately, how these apps handle your reappearing old episodes is outside your control. So you have to consider whether the cost is worth it to you and your audience to expand how many episodes are in your RSS feed. Alternatively, you could create a separate RSS feed to hold your older episodes, like 100 episodes at a time, each with its full text content then, because you know it's only ever going to have 100 episodes, and therefore it's fine with the number of episodes it has, and you don't have to worry about updating it with new episodes. It will always be only those certain 100 episodes, like episodes 1 to 100, and then each can have its full content with it. This would keep those old episodes available, especially if you submit those archive feeds to podcast apps and directories, which I do recommend you do if you make archive feeds, but their own SEO would build the archive feeds ranking, not that of your active podcast feed. Now that's in the podcast apps. On your website, it would probably still be all the same because on your website, there's no division of it. In the podcast apps, though, you would have your active feed with your latest however many episodes and then your archive feeds with, say, 100 episodes at a time, 1 to 100, 101 to 200, 201 to 300, something like that would be your archive feeds. So if you have a really great episode in your first 100 episodes and it ranks well in search in apps and on the website, well, it won't really matter what happens on the website in this case, but in the apps, it would then be promoting your archive feed instead of your main active podcast. If you do that kind of thing, then you should definitely do two things here. Number one is consider making all of those old episodes promote your active feed. You could put in a little 
add at the beginning of your episodes, either dynamically or you go back and edit all those episodes, maybe something quick that says something like, this is an episode from the archive feed. Please make sure you're following the main active podcast feed and give them your website or your follow the podcast link or anything like that so that they can then follow your active feed and get every new episode. So that's one thing you should do with your archive feeds. The other thing to consider doing would be, this would be a great opportunity to create a channel in Apple Podcasts. This is a new feature in Apple Podcasts and some other podcast apps are adopting this too, where you can have a channel or a collection to say, these are other podcasts by me, not other podcasts that are related to mine. Like I wouldn't put Dave Jackson's School of Podcasting in my channel, but instead it would be like including the Audacity to Podcast episodes one to 100 would be in the same channel as the Audacity to Podcast active main podcast feed. That's inside of Apple Podcast. It's called the channel feature, and you can only set that up currently through the Podcast Connect website that Apple provides. But there's also an upcoming alternative inside Podcasting 2.0 that would allow you to put this in your RSS feed to indicate which of your feeds are members of a channel so that Podcasting 2.0 apps could then group your shows together, maybe in multiple channels, or you have just one channel. It's still yet to be completely defined, but I think there's a lot of potential there. So if you are creating archive feeds, make sure you do those two things. Number one is A, put in some kind of pre-roll or post-roll or something where people know prominently that they're listening to an archive feed and should make sure they're following the main feed. I might suggest actually not a pre-roll because if people are listening to all your old episodes, you don't want to annoy them with hearing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again with each episode that they listen to at the beginning of the episode. So maybe you do a pre-roll every 10 episodes or so and then do a post-roll in all of the other episodes besides that. And the other thing to do is B, make a channel with all of your feeds inside Apple Podcasts, other podcast apps, and the upcoming Podcasting 2.0 alternative. When old episodes reappear in your RSS feed, you might also have similar troubles with some automation tools as some of your audience might have with their podcast apps. For example, something that automatically tweets whenever you publish a new episode might also then tweet when all of your old episodes show up in your RSS feed. But from my observations, and I haven't tested and observed every kind of automation tool out there, but from my observations, Most of these tools look for only what's new at the top of an RSS feed, where new items are, older items are at the bottom, new items are at the top, or only episodes that have a date more recent than the last time the automation ran. Thus, reappearing old episodes probably won't trigger any automations, but it is still possible. And unfortunately, you might not even know until it happens. So these are seven things for you to consider whether you should limit your RSS feed to a certain number of available episodes. Number one, podcast feed versus website archive. Number two, is your content still valuable? Number three, does your old content have good SEO? Number four, do you sell your back catalog? Number five, what profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, are you seeking with your podcast? Number six, is your feed getting too big? And number seven, Think carefully before expanding your RSS feed. And yes, I know this outline wasn't completely parallel. Shh, let's not talk about that. 
If you need help with some of this stuff, either figuring out how to implement this for your own podcast, or you want to try and figure out the strategy that you can do to leverage this to the best effects for your podcast, whatever your goals are for your podcast, I'm available for custom personalized coaching and consulting to help you with podcasting. Please contact me through the website at theaudacity2podcast.com or you can email feedback at theaudacitytopodcast.com. If this episode has been helpful to you, or there are some podcasters you think need to hear this episode because maybe you want them to expand their limits so that you can get their older episodes, then please share this episode out. Go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash limit or not to review the notes, share this episode, get the links I mentioned, or access the same through a tap or swipe away inside of your app. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go start and grow your own podcast with lots and lots of episodes for passion and profit. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.